0: Matthew 24, as Jesus left and was going out of the temple, his disciples came up and called his attention to its buildings. He replied to them, do you see all these things? Truly I tell you, not one stone will be left here on another that will not be thrown down. While he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples approached him privately and said, tell us what? when these things will happen? And what is a sign of your coming in the end of the ages? Jesus replied to them, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Messiah. And they will deceive many. You're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed because these things must take place but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. They will be fam- famines and earthquakes in various places. All these events are beginning of labor pains. Then they will hand you over to be persecuted, and they will kill you. You will be hated by all nations because of my name. Then many will fall away, betray one another, and hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, because lawlessness lawlessness will multiply. The love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. This good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed to all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand then those in Judah, Judea must flee to the mountains. A man on the housetop, a man on the housetop must not come down to get things out of his house, and then the man in the field must not go back to get his coat. Woe to pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days. Pray that your escape may not be in winter or on a Sabbath, for at that time there will be great distress, the kind that hasn't taken place from the beginning of the world until now and never will again. Unless those days are cut short, no one would be saved. But these days will be cut short because of the elect. If anyone tells you then, See, here is a Messiah, or over here, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders to lead astray. If possible, even the elect. Take note, I have told you in advance. So if they tell you, see, he's in the wilderness, don't go out. Or see, he's in the storehouse. Don't believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the carcass is, there is the vultures will gather. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not shed its light. Its stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the prophets of the earth will mourn, peoples of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send out his angels with a loud trumpet, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. Learn this lesson from the fig tree as soon as the branch become tender and sprouts leaves, you know the summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near, at the door. Truly I tell you, this generation will surely not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, except the Father alone. As the days of Noah were, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. For in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah boarded the ark. They didn't know until the flood came and swept them all away. This is the way the coming of the Son of Man will be. Then two men will be in the wheat field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding grain with a handmill, and one will be taken and one left. Therefore be alert, since you don't know what day your Lord is coming. But know this, if the homeowner had known what time the thief was coming, he would have stayed alert and not let his house be broken into. That is why... This is why you are also to be ready because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is faithful? Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master will put in charge of his household to give him food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant when the master comes doing his job when he is coming, truly I tell you, he will put them in charge of all his possession. But if that wicked servant says in his heart, "My master isn't delay is delayed," and starts to beat his fellow servants, and casts and drinks with drunkards, or eats and drinks with drunkards, that servant's master will come on a day he does not expect. And at that hour, he does not know. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the end of the word. Good
1: morning, church. Well, that's a doozy of a cer- of a chapter, isn't it? So, to lighten the mood a little bit before we get into it, I'm gonna am sh- gonna show a little video clip of a movie that I think will hopefully give us some uh, context for this for this sermon. Uh, so, this is a, a clip from a movie called Rocket Man, made in the '90s, about a fictional mission to Mars and it's a comedy and uh, the main character is supposed to be doing multiple tests and one of these tests is a wiring test and so he does the test and he does great and then they set the entire contraption spinning and he's supposed to do the entire test while he is spinning and uh, Andrew would you? So here's he's going to start spinning. And you can see the outcome is the wires are in places... You can stop it, Andrew. You can see the wires are in places they're not supposed to be, like his nose, <laughs> and not in the board like they're supposed to be. And so in the same way, something like Matthew 24 has a lot of moving parts. And so your theology can really take a beating on a chapter like this, right? You can end up with lots of very, very interesting and strange explanations for things. And so our goal is to put the wires where they're supposed to be, pull them out of places they're not supposed to be. And so that might mean some of you, it's possible, I'm always one of them, at times have wires where they're not supposed to be. And it might feel a little weird when we pull it out of your nose or wherever it might be. Okay? So, just in context, that's what we're going to sort of dive into. So Matthew 24 has a lot going on. But we want to remind ourselves of sort of what we've been doing with Matthew, Matthew in general, which is we've been teaching Matthew as Jesus is Israel, as the faithful Israelite, and that is what Matthew is showing us. With that being said... Um, We're in 24, and so if you just look at your your sermon notes, you'll notice that Matthew 24 puts us in the period where we're going to be thinking about things like Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Lamentations. We're going to be thinking about things like exile and death. Now, maybe you're like me, and you don't have a strong feel for what does exile and how should that fit with Jesus living faithfully. How should that sort of work? Um, so Stephen and I have been talking about that, and I wanted to, you know, let him sort of talk a little bit about how exile fits in with that.
2: So f- first, before doing that, I'm curious, like, if I were to ask you guys, when you think of exile, what, like, what comes to your mind biblically? What's, what's some of the stuff that you think of? <laughs> Babylon. Okay, that's good. To what? The Israelite Is Israelites exile. exile. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. another one? Andrew? Okay, yeah, good. So obviously we have um, a pretty big exile in the Old Testament with the prophets when they're like, hey, um, if you guys don't start obeying these things, you're going to get exiled to the nations. But we're like, uh, this whole idea of exile actually has a like a prehistory. Like it has an origin um, in the first pages of the Bible, surprisingly. Um, so, so, so God says, "Hey, uh, I'm going to put you in this great place. Um, you're supposed to obey all these things um, that I tell you to do, and basically just be fruitful, multiple, have dominion, um, go out, um, multiply, make everything fantastic, make it look the way that I created it to be." Um, but don't do this one thing. Don't eat of this one tree. And sure enough, that's what they do. And, and, and what's said is, when, the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And so they eat of it, and they're cast out. So being cast out of God's presence is the same as death. So um, we begin to go, oh, okay, this is interesting that, that being out of God's presence is ac- actually equal um, to death um and in this God actually drives them out he banishes them from the garden and he scatters them and so like those words those are very key words that get to played out over and over and over and over again throughout the bible so when you see banished drive out and scattered those are exile words those are words that are are, are getting you to go oh wait a minute this is another exile um and so you actually see this so they're so Adam and Eve are driven to the East, important language. Um, So pay attention in the Bible when you see things um, being driven to the east, or they went to the east, or they came from the east. Those are other things. Like It means that uh, it's a return from something. Um, And so directions are actually super, super important. And so they are actually exiled um, to the east. You have Cain, the same thing. He is driven to the east. Um, And then a little bit later, you have everyone moved to the east to create this great city, this great tower called Babel, but the word is actually Babylon. We just translated it as Babel because of the language thing, you know, you guys heard about that before. Um, but, like, the word is actually Babylon, and so, like, that's the only time in the entire Bible that that word isn't translated as Babylon. So you begin to go, okay, so so this, this great tower of Babylon um, is created, um, and God comes and he's like, this is not right, like, you, I, you're not obeying, you've, you've decided to do every evil thing in your heart, and, and I can't allow you to keep doing this. So I'm going to scatter you guys out um, into the rest of the creation, uh, and in all of that, he takes one person. Who does he take? Next chapter, chapter 12 of, of Genesis, he grabs one person and he says, you. Who is it? Abraham. Abraham. So Abraham becomes that seed, the one that we're going to actually see that lineage taken through. And what is Abraham told? He's told, you're going to be a blessing to the nations. You're going to go out to how I scattered them out. You're actually going to come in and you're actually going to bring this blessing to the nations. And so we, ex- we have this expectation that this people that is brought in um, is going to actually bring this exile of the nations back. But that people, are they, they're, they're brought out of um, this bondage and, and captivity in Egypt. Um, and they're, said, they're told in Leviticus 20, 26, if you don't listen to these things, I'm going to scatter you guys out. It's a reference back to the garden. It's a reference back to, to that Tower of Babylon. Like, just like you saw what happened in the nations, I'm going to scatter you guys out. And I'm actually going to scatter you out to the nations. That's not where you're supposed to be. It doesn't even get too many books later, you got Deuteronomy 4, and he goes, when you guys disobey, when you guys make idols, when you guys, like, when your children have been in the land, when your grandchildren have been in the land a long time, and you disobey, like, it's not even like, hey, don't disobey, like, it's like, when you disobey, Deuteronomy 4, I will scatter you, I will send you out. So all the way back in Deuteronomy 4, we already have this anticipation of something, right? We already have this anticipation of the same thing, of eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and bad, Um, that they are going to do the same thing. They're going to take of something they're not supposed to, and that's exactly what we see. We see that in, um, in the prophets. They're like, guys, come back. Obey. Listen to the words of God. Listen to what he's told you. Walk by his way. This is the way of life. This is the way it's supposed to be. Remember, when you don't walk by his way, it equals death. And so you actually see Ezekiel go, I have this vision of dry bones. We're actually saying about this, that dry bones would be living again. And so Ezekiel's going, yes, there is this equal thing of going, when we are exiled, like where did they get exiled to? Babylon? Oh yeah, that's right. Same, that was the first place that we actually see the nations get exiled out is Babylon. And so like, it's like, oh my gosh, now not only have the nations been exiled, the people of God have been exiled out into the nations. But what are they supposed to be doing? Being a blessing. That's what Abraham has called them to do. So all of this is context for going, this is where Jesus is at. He's going, hey, leaders of Israel, you guys are doing the same thing that happened in the, in the prophets when they, they warned you. So they, they said, don't do these things. Obey my will. Obey the things that I've told you to do. Walk by my heart. Walk in my way. And he's like, when you don't, like, woe to you. Woe to you. That's what Daryl did last week. But then at the very end of that, he's like, Oh, that I could cover you like a mother hen. Oh, that I could bring you back. Oh, that you would be mine again. Oh, that you would listen to my way. Because he knows that whenever he scatters, he always regathers. Whenever he he drives out, he always brings you back. Um, And that's his heart. That's what he wants to see. So even in this, that we understand, like, there's this driving out and and that he wants that bringing back, we see that Jesus... um, in the beginning of Matthew 24, it actually says that he leaves the temple, um, and it's a it's a it's a playback to Ezekiel. Um, whenever we see them in, in Babylon, and Ezekiel has this vision, and he's saying, "Wait a minute, the presence of God is leaving the temple. Why? The presence of God is not supposed to leave the temple." And that's what Jesus is doing um, in Matthew 24. He's leaving the temple, going, "Yes, we're making it. We're making a change. We need to do something different." And you, my people you guys have to listen to the ways that I, I do these things. You have to listen to my will. You have to listen to the way I live. Um, and that is actually going to be, like, that's the whole precursor. That's what this, like, chapter is actually building up to in all of this. Um,
1: so go for it. Yeah. So I think what's, what, you know, what I struggled with with this is, okay, if we're supposed to be in exile, period, well, Jesus is living faithfully, so why would he be cast out, right? Why would he be sent out of the land? Like, what, what are we supposed to be thinking about there, Right. Um, and so I think a really helpful place to, to look for that, and there, there's more to it, but this is just sort of helps it, which is if you go to Matthew 21, Jesus is talking about the parable of the tenants. And so there's a vineyard, um, which represents sort of the, the land, and um, the, he keeps sending servants, and he finally sends his son. And the son is, is, is the one who's thrown out of the land, not because he's unfaithful, but because that's what the tenants do. So in the same way, Jesus is going to play out what we just see in that parable. Jesus is cast out, but he's the one who brings people back through exile by being exiled for living faithfully. Does that make sense? Um, and so I think that like, that's what we want to keep in mind is, is that even though we're in the exile period, Jesus still is faithful through it, and so how does that exile fit in? And that's at least one of the ways that I see that sort of connecting in. Um. From there, what I, I think what's really helpful is to sort of to to understand Matthew 24 is to look at the things that Matthew is trying to overlay and for help us to understand. So one of those ones that's just extremely heavily, you know, like overlaid with this, this section of Matthew is Jeremiah 7 and 8. Um, and so, you know, there's these allusions that Jeremiah is talking to. Jeremiah goes into the temple in this section of Jeremiah, and he's talking to the people and telling them basically like, you know... Things are wrong, things need to get fixed, or you're going to be exiled. And in the same way, Jesus is doing these things. So, you know, for instance, um, Jeremiah, in this sermon um, that he's giving to the people, refer, you know, calls, you know, talks about a den of robbers, which Matthew 21, 13, is what Jesus calls the people, okay? Um, you get the fig tree, which, again, is in Matthew 21. Jesus curses the fig tree, which Warren talked about, which is about, it's not just a fig tree, but it's a representation of Jesus saying like, you, you know, the people of Israel are being unfruitful. And if you go to Jeremiah 8, he's talking about the same thing. He's saying, hey, you're not being fruitful. And so again, we're just seeing that overlay. Um, sending of the prophets and refused to listen. You get, you know, Jesus talking about that in the same way, Jeremiah talks about the same thing in set, in set 25 and 26. Jeremiah talks about the killing of innocent blood. In the end of 23, Jesus is talking about all of the prophets that, you're, you know, that are re- you're responsible for killing, okay, and the same type of thing. And then again, 24 starts talking about the destruction of the temple, and in Jeremiah, Jeremiah starts to talk about the destruction of, of the temple, but he starts even referencing back to Shiloh, which is one of the, sort of that, that first house of God, and Eli's sons become so um, apostate that they—they're you know they're stealing the sacrifices. They're sleeping with the the women who are supposed to be assisting in everything. They're they're completely doing all the things that the priests are not supposed to be doing. And so then after that, you see that's when the you know the the tabernacle is basically um, is you know all that's messed up, and you you lose um, in the 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 Philistines actually take away the Ark of the Covenant. Um, and the same, re- you know, it's all of this is connected. And so there's something about that that Jesus is, is, and Matthew is laying over this. So when we're seeing Jeremiah 7 and 8 and Matthew 21 through 24, those are overlaid and intertwined. And that helps us to sort of understand or think deeper about what's going on here in 24. And in the same way, Ezekiel 8 to 11 um, has some of those different ties. In, and at the end of Ezekiel 11 um, God actually leaves the temple in the same way that at the beginning of 24, Jesus leaves the temple saying, it's going to be destroyed. And he's, he goes to the Mount of Olives and basically sets up a new place um, for, for everything.
2: You have any thoughts there, Stephen? Yeah, I think a key thing, and like... So like, there's a lot of stuff we're talking about, right? Like, there's a lot of different elements, and it's like, whoa, this is overwhelming. Just all the different pieces. Like, we're trying, like, trying to put all of these Old Testament pieces out there, um, because like, it is really important. Um, It actually really helps you understand what's going on in Matthew 24, um, because it's a pretty, like, I don't know if you uh, paid attention when we were reading it, but it's a pretty confusing one. Like, there's a lot of stuff happening in there, um, and it's there's a lot of disagreement on. Where this could go, like as far as like what the thought process is, like you talk to different theologians from different backgrounds, and they're all going to have a different view on that. Um, What I think is super important um, in this is to 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 be paying attention to the heart of Jesus, which he's representing. Um, He is God. He's not just representing God. He is God in in the flesh, coming and going. Like I have longed for this people. I have. I'm like from the very beginning of Matthew when we see him actually come. As king, like he is anointed, he's coming. He actually goes into the nations. Like um, you actually see him going into the Gentile areas because he's like, I am like you people, you my my family, my my own kinsmen have not been faithful to the covenant, but I will be faithful every single day, and I will be the one who actually fulfills this. Um, and we realize like that's the same God that we see in the Old Testament. That anytime he makes a covenant, he's like yeah, I know that you're going to fail, but I'm going to keep both sides of it. Um, and we see this in, in, in Exodus 34, um, that as Moses is on the mountain, getting the, the Ten Commandments, um, that the people, it, like that's their wedding. That's, this is the, the marriage ceremony for them. And they have already begun to make an idol. They are already going, mm, this is the God who has brought us out. And God is like, no, no, it's not no. Like you're missing it. Like I'm right here. I was the one that brought you out and I love you. And he says, "I am a God of grace and mercy. I am a God of compassion and love and steadfast faithfulness." And he's like, "I will be with you forever." And so that we like his heart is to bring this restoration into all of these different areas. And and like what I was trying to lay out in this exile thing is like we've fractured As humans, we fractured this whole thing, Um, and we we need someone to actually come and do this, right? Like we we need someone who actually comes and brings this restoration, brings this life and peace. Um, And Jesus is going. I'm here to do that, but you actually have to look to me first. this world will grow strangely dim, um, but you have to look to my grace, you have to look to my compassion, you have to look to my love, and all these different things. And so, for me, in this chapter, it is a pretty confusing chapter. Like, if any of you guys were to take it and try to preach it, um, you guys would, like, if you took the, the time to, to start doing all these things, it gets lost in the weeds really fast. Um, And so, like for me, the biggest thing is going. What is the heart of God? You might hear all this destruction. You might hear all these different things of what, like, what is being said. Like, this temple is going to be torn down. Wait, this temple, or like, Jesus said, tear down this temple, and I and I will rebuild it in three days. We knew he was talking about his body. So is that, like, now, like, all of a sudden you start getting down all these little trails. But I think the most important thing is to go. What is the ultimate heart of God? Full restoration, right? Where there was darkness, he brings light. Where there was chaos, he brings order. So in all of these things, when we're seeing what looks like destruction, we know that the heart of God is one of compassion, of grace, of mercy, of restoration and order. Um, So for me, that's what I want to make sure that in all of these Old Testament things that we're laying out, that we hear, this is Jesus going, I love you guys. This isn't just condemnation, destruction, destruction. You're, you're screwed. This is going to suck for you guys. I want you back. Like, this is my people. And I have a plan not just for you. I have a
1: plan for the nations too. Right. Right. So, maybe getting a little into 24. Um, from there, uh, you know, I think it's interesting that it's not uncommon to sp- hear anytime we have weird things like 2020 going on that people are start going, oh, well, you know, the end is near, the end is near. But, you know, if you read... 24, 4 through 8, Jesus is talking about wars, famines, earthquakes. These are the beginning, not signs of the end. These are the birth pains. Again, not the end. So I think, again, just a really good place to anchor ourselves is those aren't the things. Uh, you go to First Thessalonians, Jesus, um, Paul's talking about the fact that like, the, the day of the Lord is something that's going to come, um, and it's going to be a surprise when it comes, uh, but then Second Thessalonians, he's you know he's clarifying and he's going, hey guys, like I'm not saying you won't know it happened, but it's still a, like it's not something that you're just going to be like, I know it's happening today. It's going to be a surprise. It's going to come like a thief. And so I think that that's again is just one of those important things for us to anchor ourselves in is that all of these things that are unfortunately way too common of things for us to see or experience in some way, these bad things are not signs of the end but there's something else. Um, I think for me, one of the things I really like to anchor ourselves in here is, is that uh, Jesus starts talking at the um, middle of, or near the middle to end of the chapter. He says, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things t- take place. Now, all this generation, all these things will take place. So he just told us that we're going to see the abomination of desolation, we're going to see tribulation, we're going to see the Son of Man coming, the sun will be darkened. All that stuff he says is going to happen in this generation? Interesting, okay. Now, just to make sure that we're all comfortable with this idea, uh, if we jump to Matthew 12, 41 and 42, um, this phrase, this generation, um, is used again the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it for they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold something greater than Jonah is here the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold something greater than Solomon is here so again Jesus isn't generically talking about some generation he's talking about this generation he's making it specific because He's saying these other cultures or other time periods would judge you because you're not responding appropriately in this generation, okay? Um, And then again, if you just even go to Matthew 23 at the very end of it, um, you get to see the same type of thing. Um, He's saying, truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. He's talking about that the blood of the prophets whom he murdered will you know, like you're responsible for and are going to come on this generation, okay? So this is, this is the, the, the challenge or the problem. Um, and so just to quote a biblical scholar, D.A. Carson, this generation can only with great difficulty be made to mean anything other than the generation living when Jesus spoke, okay? So people will do all types of ridiculous gymnastics to go, well, I can't figure out what 24 means, so therefore, I'm going to change what this generation means to mean, well, as long as the Jews are alive, that's what this generation means. Or he was wrong. Like I, You actually read people who will say, like, this generation, Jesus, Jesus misunderstood and he didn't get it right. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it, when, we're re, when we're reduced to reading the Bible at that level, something's wrong, okay? So we've got to do better than that. And that's the challenge, is, is how are we supposed to deal with all of these crazy things that have just been said, and we're supposed to say that all of that's going to be fulfilled in this generation, the, Jesus, the generation Jesus is talking to. Now, that's, that's a big challenge. We're not going to do all of them today, okay? It's just not possible <laughs> to go through all of them. We're going to do a couple, and then what I'd like to do is, you know, just sort of hit one, and then from there, basically give you guys the opportunity to look in 24 and say, which one of these is bothering you? And so that we can't maybe try to dig a little something out of it. So, if you want to flip to twenty-four, that will help you in case you have questions. Um, so, I want to start start with the abomination of desolation, um, and from there, you know what it, it's an, it's a weird one because he clearly says it's it's a reference to Daniel twenty or it, it, a reference to Daniel and something that Daniel sees. If you start reading these these things, they can get pretty complicated. So, I, we're going to just sort of do a couple of things. One is if we go to Luke twenty-one twenty. I apologize, your sermon notes say 2021. 20, it's 2120, just so we're clear. And this is a parallel passage, worded slightly different for good reason, but we won't get into that. Um, Jesus is talking and he says, But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. So there's abomination, and then there's this desolation that's going to happen, okay? And those are somewhat sort of broken out. And the same thing, if we go to Daniel 12, verse 11, and from that time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there will be 1,290 days. So the abomination is what makes the desolation sort of possible. Okay, That's, that's basically the idea of what's going on here. So, we have to start to ask ourselves what those words mean. Where should we find them? What should we be thinking about with that? And so again, hey, we're, we're paralleling Jeremiah. So if we go to Jeremiah 7, verse 30, we'll see, for the sons of Judah have done evil in my sight, declares the Lord. They have set their detestable things in the house. Now, detestable. This is the challenge, is, is that for some reason, Certain words are not always translated the same, sometimes for good reason, other times I'm not sure why. In this case, abomination is used, there's two words that are used, okay, abomination and then um, detestable. And abomination can be used one of two words, and detestable can be both abomination or detestable. Sorry. Really, really clear. Yeah, it's super clear, right? So unfortunately, sometimes you've got you to gotta almost read the Hebrew to sort of understand this, and I don't want to make that, but I just want to make sure we're clear why I'm saying this word in, in, Deuteronomy, or in, in Jeremiah 7.30. For the sons of Judah have done evil in my sight, declares the Lord. They have set their detestable things in the house that is called by my name to defile it. And they have built their high places of Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnon, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire. So what we're seeing, and I've included some other verses for you guys to look at, but I, again, I don't want to beat this to death here, because I don't want this to be a, um, just about digging into the Hebrew words here. Um, what happens is, is that word is connected with the idea of idolatry and approaching the holy place in a wrong way, okay? And that's what happens here. So when we're saying there is something that makes desolate, it's not just anything. It's not... Certain, it's a very specific type of behavior. It's about idolatry, okay? And it's about approaching God in a wrong way. And that's really, really important. So then maybe we should be asking ourselves, what is desolate? And so Stephen's already referenced this. Um, Leviticus 26 is the next place we go to for that. And verse 31 and 43. And I will lay your cities waste, and I will make your sanctuaries desolate, and I will not smell your pleasing aromas, is verse 31. And verse forty-three, <clears throat> but the land shall be abandoned by them and enjoy its sabbath while it lays desolate without them. And they shall make amends for their iniquity because they spurn my rules and their souls soul abhor my statutes. So what we're saying here, again, just to make sure that we're we're connected with this, is is that it's not anybody who can make desolate. Okay, the Israelites are the ones who make the abomination, the detestable act that brings upon the desolation, which is where exile happens, okay? So this is what we're talking about here. And so again, we're in, the, in Matthew, and we've been seeing all of these things and how they start to reject Jesus. Now Jesus is gonna be crucified, and he is the final sacrifice. So the question becomes, what happens after Jesus' death and resurrection? Do they continue to go to the, do the Israelites continue to go to the temple to make sacrifices that are no longer necessary? Or don't they? Are they worshiping God or are they worshiping something else at that point? And the answer is, they're not worshiping God because God has already fulfilled those, okay? So they are officially moved into a place where they are no longer worshiping God. They're worshiping something else, whether they like it or not. Does that make sense? And so that's what this abomination of desolation is. It's not anything, and you can get a lot of weird explanations over this, but it, what happens is, is that the people reject God. And as such, they are the ones who are bringing desolation on their land because they do not accept what Jesus has done for them. And that's what this is about, okay? It's not just anything. Stephen, so you want to expand or think about, you have any thoughts on that? Nope. Okay. <laughs> so God, I, don't, I don't want this to, I know when I teach, I often end up very um, uh, uh, teacherly. Very deep, and I don't want it to feel like that. So what I want us us to notice here is is that this theme of abomination and desolation isn't something new. It's actually something that's happened before, and that's what Jeremiah is telling us in 7. He starts talking about how Shiloh, the place where the house of God was initially set up, where Samuel is raised, right? And so you see Eli's sons, and they stop following God, and they're, 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 they're still operating The the area, but they're not doing it in any form or fashion that a priest should be living in. And so Jeremiah is like, "Hey guys, like this, like Shiloh was destroyed." And then he's going, "And guess what? The temple in you know in this Babylonian area era is the same thing. It's going to get destroyed." And Jesus is here in twenty four saying the same thing, guys. It's going to happen again if you don't if you don't adjust and correct your path to align with where, where God is moving and to stop worshiping false things, then we're going to end up having, you know, d- the temple's going to get destroyed. And, and that's, you know, that's the hard thing about this is that we look at it and go, well, why is he destroying the temple? And in all cases, you know, it's, it's a move towards a better thing, right? When Shiloh gets destroyed, you get Solomon's temple. Right? It brings on a better thing. And the same thing in eighty seventy, 70. The temple is destroyed. Within the generation that Jesus is talking to, the temple is destroyed. But we get something better. The temple is no longer limited to a single place. It's better. And this is, this is the, you know, what Stephen's talking about with the heart um, of what, what I think we should be seeing with this chapter is it's not just about judgment. It's about realizing that God is bringing something better and the challenge is, for, it's, it's very easy for us to look back and say, well, you know, I wish we could only get back to 10 years ago. Because 10 years ago was so much better than this year. But God's continuing to move us forward and bringing better things. We can't stop it. The question is, will we align with it or won't we? Will we land on the side of the Jews and continue to reject Jesus and what he's done Or will we land on the other side and allow whatever that new and better thing is as the kingdom continues to grow, whether we like it or whether we stop it because we can't, or whether we want to align with it? That's the question. That's the challenge that we see in this chapter of 24. Does that make sense, guys?
2: And because we are believers, we have already made that choice. We've said that Jesus is better. We have said that we are Joined with him, that we are his temple, that he is actually building stone upon stone, that we are actually living stones being built together to be his dwelling place. So, like, whatever we see of destruction of a physical um, location in uh, Matthew 24, what we really should be looking at is what is he doing? What is he building? What is this, what is this God who brings order from chaos? What is this God who, who has grace and, and is like from generation to generation to generation to a thousand generations? What is he still doing? How is he still reordering these things? And we as believers who have said, yes, he is better. Yes, he is the one that I choose. Yes, I am a part of his body there's something beautiful um, when we can look and see what is this destruction that he's speaking of um, and know that we are actually, uh, that he was making something bigger and better and greater um, and that we actually are partaking of that and bringing that restoration um, into the other areas of this world Mm -hmm. that are in chaos and disorder and and have been destroyed um, in many different ways. Right.
1: Right. So, at this point, I want to open it up to, you know, is, is there a, if you're, like, if you're looking at 24, is there a part that you go, like, man, that, I don't know, that's really bothering me, or I have, I have a, I'm, I'm pretty confident this is the way my theology lands, and I'd like to potentially see a different way of seeing it, so any thoughts, guys, questions? Yeah, question. yeah, 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 absolutely, so um, what I'd like to do there is to, um, and I, I, I think this is in your thing, it's called Judgment Imagery and Decreation or something like that. Um, the first one we'll dump, jump to is actually Jeremiah 4. Um, verse 23. And I looked on the earth, and behold, it was without form and void, and to the ev- heavens, and they had no light. I looked on the earth, and behold, it was without form and void, and to the heavens, and they had no light. Did you change my Bible? Did you put Genesis 1 nope. in the wrong Sounds spot? Nope.
2: Sounds awful lot like Genesis 1, though. Huh.
1: <laughs> He's messing with my Bible over here. I looked, and then verse 24. I looked on the mountains, and behold, they were quaking, and all the hills moved to and fro. And I looked on the hills, and behold, there was no man, and all the birds of the air had fled. I looked, and behold, the fruitful land was a desert, and all its cities were laid in ruins before the Lord, before his fierce anger. Now, if you look at that and read that section, to me, that sounds a lot like a reversal of Genesis 1, right? I mean, we're undoing all the things that God had done before. Um, and you know we can look at a couple other verses, but the idea here is, is that at any point, and this is a judgment on, on, um, on Judah in this case, God continues to allow people to choose, right? And the choice is, do you want to live into the world that God has created or do you want to try to undo what he's done? Do you want to take the world back to disorder and chaos or don't you? Do you want to live into the world that he's made that is supposed to be fruitful and multiplying? That's what he's created. And if you are a society or a group that starts to bring death and chaos, you are trying to revert the world to a decreated state unfortunately, and God will honor that. He will bring you continuously farther and farther to that disordered state if that's what you choose. Or you can choose the opposite and to live into Genesis 1 and to live into that, he's bringing things to a greater and greater and fuller and fuller state, okay? If we go to Ezekiel 32, seven through nine, when I blot you out, I will cover the heavens and make their stars dark, I will cover the sun with a cloud and the moon shall not give its light. All the bright lights of heaven will I make dark over you and put darkness on your land, declares the Lord. This is a judgment against Egypt. And just to be clear, um, the verses I've all included, they're all events that are fulfilled in the 6th century BC. Okay. Now, I'll point out to you, this morning when I got up, the sun was still up there. Last night, the stars were still there. They still gave light. Um, so, there is something about this that, you know, that is, it's, it's not just a fulfillment where the stars are actually falling from the sky or things like that. Does that make sense? Um, if we continue on to Isaiah 13, 9 through 13, Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heaven and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. I will make people more rare than fine gold and mankind than the gold of Ophir. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken out of its place at the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his fierce anger. So I'm I'm not saying that Matthew 24 cannot be fulfilled in such a way that there is something about signs that appear in the sky. But to miss the deeper level, to understand that at the end of the day, what Jesus is doing and what Jesus is announcing is consistent with the prophets and consistent with the exile themes, that is, there is judgment, and that judgment is about will you live into God's world or will you try to revert it to a decreated state? And God will honor that either way. And that's our choice. Does that generally answer your question? Yes? No, oh, okay. Uh-uh. Okay, what's, what's your concern? No, I'm saying it's fulfilled already. Like it, that, the, the things that Jesus says in 24 are fulfilled. Okay. And it, it can be consistent with what we've seen before in the scriptures and the way that it talks before. So those are not prophecies then? Yeah, sure they are prophecies. But if they've already happened. Ah, is, is prophecy only something that's fulfilled in the future for you? No, but it would be
0: in the future of that prophecy given. Sure,
1: which it was. Yeah, Jesus is saying, in that generation, this is going to happen. So, maybe the, the, the question or the concern here is, is, what is the sun, moon, and stars? So, at one level, if we think back to Joseph's dream, Joseph dreams, and who is it that bows to him in his dreams? His but who, what was the family? What? what was the family that was bowing to him? In his dreams, he knew it was his family, but what was it? Uh, sun, moon and, sun stars. moon, and stars, Okay. So there's something, and again, just we, we we could turn this into a huge sermon here. Um, <laughs> is that the way that the stars are used? They both represent um, spiritual beings, and also they represent physical rulers. And so, for us to say that the the stars are judged is to say, in this case, you know, when we were talking about these things, there's being judgment brought on somebody. It's a judgment on on the rulers. And Jesus is bringing that, right? When he conquers death and comes out the other side, he has brought judgment. It's not full judgment. It's not completed yet. But that doesn't mean it hasn't been judged, right? That he has been vindicated and justified in what he's, he's done. That, that's part of it, okay? I, again, I, I know that some of this is, is just to the point. If we go to Jeremiah 7 again, 8, sorry. <laughs> At that time, declares the Lord, the bones of the kings of Judah, the bones of its officials, the bones of the priests, the bones of the prophets, and the bones of the inhabitants of Jerusalem shall be brought out of their tombs, and they shall be spread before the sun and the moon and all the hosts of heaven, which they have loved and served, which they have gone after, and they have, brought, they have sought and worshipped. And they shall be spread before the sun and the moon and all the host of heaven." So Jeremiah 7, again, we're laying all, overlaying all of this, right? We're recognizing these things, that there is something about the fact that there is worship, who's wor- being worshipped and who's being judged, okay? Yes, Steve. Is uh, the concept of typology yes. at work here, as, as in couldn't there be multiple days of the Lord? Correct. And, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, so and I think I missed, uh, I probably went over it fast, Isaiah 13, I think it was my 13, um, Isaiah 13, verse 9, behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger, behold, the day of the Lord comes. Now, Isaiah 13 is talking about judgment of Babylon, okay, and yet it's called the day of the Lord. And there are multiple days of the Lord. Some would say, um, one of the ways I've heard this described to help us sort of get our our, um, heads around it is like think of it like a mountain, which is if you're looking at it in a certain direction, you see one individual peak, and that's the final peak. That's really the goal where you're headed. But if you come at it from a slightly different angle, you'll notice that there's actually multiple ascents leading up to that final peak. And in the same way, just like we saw with... abomination of desolation that there were ones that happened before in the same way the day of the Lord is like that which is because ones have happened before doesn't mean there isn't a final one that's actually the opposite like the conclusion we should be is because God has been faithful and brought judgment on all of these people before he'll bring it again in a better way that's our you know like that's our confidence it's not that it's done but that we continue to know because he's been faithful, he will be faithful. And that's what Stephen sort of talked about.
2: Yeah, I think uh, it's helpful to, to realize that, that typology that you're talking about, that mm-hmm. there is something of like every time any of the days of the Lord are referenced in the prophets or any place, it is always referring, it's never referring to just one specific thing alone. It's, it's like has the whole cascade in mind. Um, although it might be referring specifically to one thing, all that that uh, it cascades and has um, influence on how we see the rest of the days of the Lord, mm. um, and they they are continually fulfilled in the same light. Does that make sense? I don't know. Okay, hopefully that helps. Um, I think another thing with uh, Dave with your question about the the sun turning dark and different things like that. If you go to Acts two. Mm. Um, You know, we have Pentecost, we have the Spirit being poured out, we have them speaking in tongues, and Peter gets up, and he's like, and this is what was uttered by the prophet Joel. And you go down there, and it says, um, and the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Like, he's saying, this right here, what you are seeing right right now, is what the prophet Joel prophesied. Mm -hmm. And it says... The the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood and so it's like this is one to one correlation of that prophecy and what is happening right now. Um, so we realize well the sun is still shining. Uh, Pentecost happened a long time ago. So there's something else that we need to understand in that. Does that part make sense? Jesus was on the cross. Do what? Correct. Yeah. Yep. Yep. But in this specific prophecy is saying this is what happened right here, mm-hmm. um, and so we have to understand. Uh, it's, there's a lot of typology stuff that the Bible uses and we like in the West we don't use a lot of typological um, ways of communicating because we can just write and write and write and write and write and write and write, and write. Um, but when you live in a culture where you actually have to get condense as much information at one time you actually use typology to, to, to like each word carries way more weight um, and it means something a lot more um, so to to say there's a transfer of rulership, is basically what's taking place whenever, uh, whenever it's talking about these celestial being or celestial um, uh, beings, these, these sun, moon, and stars. When they, when we see them turn to dark, uh, tar- darkness or red or whatever, um, it's a means. There's a transfer of authority, mm-hmm. and so it's going the kingdom, and specifically in Acts two, um, it's going. There has been a transfer of the kingdom. Right. Right. What what we knew was coming has come, which is like, which is why it's so like. Pentecost, chapter two of Acts, is one of the biggest, keyest things for us as New Testament believers to realize, what are we living into, mm. the kingdom has transferred? We are no longer under the prince of the power of this world. We have the authority of all heaven and all Earth given to us to go and do these things. Um, and, and that, in that prophecy is going, "The sun turned to darkness and the moon turned to blood." All right.
1: Thank you.: Hopefully that was helpful like that was he did a better job than i did on that section (laughs) um yeah chapter 1 verse 9 it says that which has been is what will be and that which is done is what will be done and there is nothing new under the sun and so the israelite people read the scriptures in a circle Sure, right. Yeah, so I, I think, you know, what we've been trying to sort of show is that there is a um, there's a repetition and that there is a pattern that continues to sort of play out, as sort of Steve pointed out with the typology, that, that things don't, um, there can be a, a full fulfillment and a greater fulfillment. So when we're teaching on Matthew 24 and saying it's fulfilled in this generation, you'll notice Pentecost obviously happened in this generation. So for, again, another section to say, yes, it was fulfilled, yeah, it was fulfilled. That doesn't mean that we can't see it fulfilled again in our time, right? Does that make sense? That like that when we read 24, to understand how it was fulfilled the first time will help us to understand how we should be thinking about it today. Yeah. And we've off, I feel like often when I, when I hear teachings on like 24 or things like that, that it's often trying to figure out, well, what's it going to explain in the future? But they don't even understand how it explains the past. And if we don't understand how it explains the past, we're darn well not going to get a good explanation of how it explains the, what's coming. Does that make sense? And I think that that's important about just understanding how the Bible is laying out for us and it's preparing us and saying, this is happening because God's faithful and consistent. And as, as, um, Karen was showing is, is that it just, you know, the pattern keeps playing it, and that's okay. Like, and that's good. It gives us confidence of where we are to go and what's to come. So I think that's our time. You want to close? Sure. Yeah. Um,
2: so I think, I think, did we throw a lot at you guys? I think we did. <laughs> I feel like there was a lot of information. Like, I feel like it's, it is, it's hard to, 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 to take in. Um, and we realized that, um, we also wanted to be honest with the word, um, careful with it and not just go. All right, this is like a prophecy um, that could, could be fulfilled or whatever. like there's something of a diligence of us um, of all of us going, "This is the word of God. Let's, let's dig into it. Let's find out some stuff that's going on here um, and not just um, take it at, at face value as just going, "All right, you know this is these words, and this is what I think, but what did it actually mean? And the Bible is in. Constant conversation with itself. So when we have this abomination of desolation, has the words "abomination of desolation" ever come up before? Let's look that up. Let's find out how is that used. Uh, when we see all these different things, like the sun will be turned to dark, like has that ever happened before? Are these different things? Like, what is the Bible saying? What is, like um, in Genesis one when it talks about and on the day on day four, um, God makes the sun and the moon and the stars Two, Rule to rule the day and to rule the night, and so like there's something of those celestial beings that are there to rule, and so it's like okay, that like that initial, the very first time that we actually see the sun, moon, and the stars, there's, there's something of rulership that's actually taking place, and so when we begin to like we'll we'll see in Judges that like um, and the stars were warring in the heavens, were they? No, it was actually talking about two nations fighting against each other, but they're using that understanding of how this actually, like, how the Bible actually uses these words. So when we get to, to Matthew 24, Matthew 23, 24, 25, all of these different ones that have all of this different um, language that, like, it's intense, it's confusing, like these oven mitts that Daryl put on last week. It's like, what in the world's going on with all this? Um, it's really, really helpful for us to go back and go, how are these words used? And so part of this... Um, I feel very comfortable leaving you guys with more questions than answers because hopefully that means you guys go and dig um, and you guys go find some stuff. And you go, wait a minute, this is like a little different than I thought. Or, wait, I, I don't feel like that actually truly fully answered my question. Well, go dig it out. Like, go find it out. Like, the Bible is filled to the brim with all types of stuff. Um, and uh, you can, like, just follow, follow the, the breadcrumbs that the Bible has left. Like, Go look up, abomination of desolation. Go look up, the sun turned to darkness. Has this happened? How do we look at these things? Um, so I think that, to me, is really, really important for us to to understand. That's what we're trying to get at here um, and not trying to... Um, it, I don't feel like this is your standard um, sermon on a Sunday morning. Um, you probably don't either at this point. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, th- I also think it's important to realize like um, there's something of Jesus going, you guys... You as the leaders, um, like this is in Matthew 23 and 24, you guys have missed the mark. You guys have completely misunderstood what this was all about. Like you guys came back from exile and you didn't just obey my laws now. You didn't just experience what what exile was about and like that it was something of a refining process for you. You didn't just learn that. You actually came back and you decided, well, we don't want to go there again. So what we're going to do is we're going to take all the laws that we have and then we're going to add about 10 more for each individual one. Right. So that way we don't even get close to that one that we disobeyed. We'll disobey all these other ones. And he's like, you're completely missing the heart. You're completely missing what this is all about. Right. Like you've just made it about a ritual, about a routine, about something that has no relationship. And he's like, you have to understand this is about relationship. You have to understand this is about me in you. This is about the process of, of uh, like a union of, of God and man together. And that's actually what comes, that's who comes and actually lives this out for us. And so you actually see, I think in, in Paul whenever he's writing to the the Galatians, and he's like, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Like, you started in grace. You knew what it was at the very beginning. But now you've decided this about how you you function, how you do these things, how you ritualistically live these things. And I think that's super easy for us. I think that's where we can fall into these things, that we can go, all right, all right, I know this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what I'm not supposed to do. But it's like, no, it's about living in grace. And powered by the Spirit, that we actually learn what it is to like have His presence dwelling in us. And, and, and it is really easy to find ourselves just going, I need to obey this, I need to not do this, I need to do these kind of things. And it's like, no, take the time, dig into your word, pray the scriptures. Spend time with him. Know who he is. Worship him. Like The more time you spend with him, the more you're going to become like him. The more time you're with him, the more time you're going to be filled with his presence. And it's not going to be this, you foolish Galatians, why are you setting up all these things? It's going to be like, no, I was, like, Christ was crucified, and it's him that actually lives in me. Like I actually live by his power and his spirit. Um, and so that's, to me, what I want us to get out of all of this, is spend time in the word, Spend time with him and realize it's about that presence. It's about, that's what he's, even in Matthew 23, 24, and 25 is going, I want you guys. I want to bring you back in. I want you guys to be the blessing to the nations. I want you guys to be my people. I want you to be that. Um, And I'm actually coming to restore that because I know who you are and I know who I created you to be to go out and do these things. So that's kind of where I want to leave it. Hopefully that makes sense. Anybody have any questions to help me finish that off if you, if you feel like that wasn't finished off good enough. You guys understand all that? Yeah, Steve?
0: So, in our
1: day to day, when Jesus says keep watch, maybe he's not saying so much like pay attention to the news as to pay attention to the Holy Spirit. For sure.
2: Yep. Him. Yep. Yeah, I think learning to walk by what he's doing, um, see, like, spending time understanding uh, what it is to walk in His ways, like that's what from from Genesis one, two, and three is like. Obey Me. Like I want you to see My heart. I want you to see how I live. I want you to see how I function. How I created this, and I want you to go out and do those things. That's what I want. Um, and so um, if the if the news is, hey, this apple looks really good, you should eat it, um, and it's like, no, like I want to obey His word. I want to obey what He has said. I want to be focusing on the things that He has said and live in that way. So yeah, like. Spending, spending time on your phone looking up the news or spending time on your phone in the Bible or just spending time in your Bible, whether it's on your phone or not, uh, if, you, uh, if you had a choice, mm-hmm. I would uh, very strongly suggest you spend time in the Word um, and less time looking at the news um, and, and being swayed to and fro um, by the waves of, the, of all of that. Right. So, okay. I think we're done. All
0: right, thank you. Dad?